Black Cats Run Podcast. I'm Tristan Black Ingersoll, and this is Black Cats Run. In the previous episode, we worked to deconstruct intervals from several different perspectives. Now, we're going to try to build intervals back up into an understanding of what the interval actually can be as an impactful and useful training tool. Intervals aren't the crucible by which we either manifest or fail, but they are a mechanism that we can use to apply a better concept of training and lead to improvement. Red, yellow, green, part two. Let's get into today's episode. So there's this phenomenon that I call the illusion of the interval. And the illusion of the interval is that what a lot of people feel they're observing is that when you start doing intervals, that's when you actually get faster. And our sort of bias of practice, the way in which we sort of choose certain approaches and apply those approaches, um, leads us to confirm the presence or significance of that. And so what we want to be thinking about in this episode is more about what is the interval doing um, in terms of what it's designed to do versus what it's doing by accident. So, and this is going to matter a lot. And by the end of the episode, um, I hope that this will become increasingly clear why this matters. But to start with, our intention is what we're going to source as the cause of the outcomes that occur subsequent to any given intervention in any context, and certainly in a training context. So if we see performances improve, if we see peak power, if we see personal bests, and we see that as happening post um, an interval strategy in our training, we're going to assume the interval strategy is what caused that benefit to occur. And then we're going to look at the thing that we designed or you know, was in the design if we're relying on somebody else's design. And we're going to say, well, that's the cause of the outcome that I experience. And so then what's going to happen is we're going to emphasize that design aspect. And think we're going to try to like um, maximize the application of that piece. So for example, uh, if you think in terms of speed and velocity, um, and you think that the impactful thing is that, well, I, I did a certain speed or velocity. And you might say, well, I did this speed, and that was the speed that I wanted to do in the race, and I did that. It could in cycling, you might say, I did this power, and then that's the power that I did um, on the big climb. 
And so you look at this and you say, okay, there's a cause and effect relationship. And so then that's going to become a design emphasis. You're going to emphasize a design modality where you're going to say, okay, you know, if I practice X speed or I practice X watts, then I will actualize that in performance. And we're going to, now you're going to design towards that end. But that also means that if you're designing something different, then you are going to have to, by virtue, omit some other aspects, right? So what could that be, right? That could be changing your concept of recovery, changing your concept of the number of reps. You might say that, okay, well, really, you know, it's all about hitting this speed. So I'm going to do less reps and I'm going to take uh, maybe more recovery and all that's designed around facilitating and executing that speed. Because if I could run 70s or 65s in my repeat 400s, then I'm going to go and that's going to translate to such and such on the track. And I've had multiple conversations and I'm sure anybody who spent enough time in uh, the world of, of middle distance running or distance running has had these conversations where people say, well, what do you think this workout is equal to? That workout's not equal to anything. That workout is equal to its workout. Like that's it. It doesn't, it's not a portent, right? It's not, intervals are, are not an oracle. And we talked about that in the last episode because there's a huge difference between I absolutely smashed myself doing this workout. So now I should be able to go out and I'll like regurgitate you know, that work up onto the track and just sort of make this time happen in the 1500 or whatever race you're doing, the 5,000, the 10,000, right? I'm just going to go out and do this, you know, power for 20 minutes. I'm going to hit these splits in the pool, right? You can apply it to whatever context you want. Um, and, you know, versus somebody who did the same session and they were just, you know, relaxed and under control. Uh, we were often compared to Dan Johnson, I wonder if um, Dan Johnson knows the amount of torture that his legacy led, uh, both physical and mental agony, <laughs> his his little legacy in, in our school inflicted on subsequent generations of runners there. But, you know, that was sort of held up as a, well, Dan Johnson did this and Dan Johnson did that. But it's like, how hard was Dan Johnson doing it, right? And you people go out and you're like, oh, you exceeded the Dan Johnson performance. And it's kind of like, okay, that's cool. But like, was Dan Johnson like working that hard to do that? You know, how recovered, you know, was he the next day or two days later? I mean, those are also important questions that we want to try to ask. So if you go back to that design concept and you said, well, if you thought, well, okay, I think what was emphasized here is, you know, harder breathing, right? And breathing really hard, then you'll emphasize, doing elevated respiratory work. And we tend to assume that, okay, you know, you know, the dose makes the poison. So the more of this that I can do, the more logically benefit I'll get. And, you know, those differences in design could lead to very different perspectives, right? If you think that um, it's the volume or if you think it's having really short rest, then that's going to become the design emphasis. And I think the issue is, is that we can never look at training and just say that, well, this one most exciting uh, component. And I, I think the, the cognitive um, disposition is to focus on the interval because it is just so thrilling and engaging and stimulating. And even if you hate doing it, you have this feeling of, of satisfaction um, and, and sense of accomplishment, right? And so that's what we really think about. And the generic 60 minutes to 90 minutes or, you know, three to four hour ride or, again, whatever your Dis endurance disciplines generic equivalent is 
you know, you're going to tend to ignore that because it just doesn't capture our imagination as much. Unless you then go on the scale of, well, running 100 miles a week or riding 30 hours a week or doing X meters or yards, you know, in the pool, right? And then it takes on a greater significance, but then that becomes a design flaw, right? As you're designing to say, well, and, and I, my instance of this is, um, you know, in high school, I would say I probably ran about 25 miles a week, but that's just what, that's what the structure was. It, I wasn't like, I really understood um, that. I wasn't exposed to any alternative perspective. Um, and so that's what we did. And uh, in college, I, you know, between cross country and outdoor track, I started running 70 miles a week and I made a big improvement from, you know, the 12 months ago as a senior in high school to now as a freshman in college. And I said, okay, that's great. And I said, okay, the design component was doing more miles per week. So then I was, okay, well, so logically now I need to do 80. And then I basically beat my head against that wall for three years and I didn't get any better. And then of course the presumption is that, well, you, you know, Tristan, you just suck at running, <laughs> you know, and I don't know, I guess maybe that's technically true um, in practice a lot of the time. Um, but the reality is, is it's not really true. It's just kind of how it played out, right? Because I didn't know what um, I should be looking at in terms of my design emphasis, right? Um, and it, it, and I was, I mean, the simple long story short is I just too tired, you know, pursuing this this design um, that I thought would bring me to the next level. And there's a million things that I could have done differently, all of which would have led to improvement. And I happened to hyper-focus on this one thing that uh, didn't lead to that. So I'm speaking from personal experience to some degree, but this is also observational. I see people do this all the time. And, um, you know, it's a it's a broad phenomenon, right, is that we try to reach conclusions about what's working and what isn't. And then, you know, that's going to drive our process. And that can drive us off a cliff if we don't um, take the time to really think about it. And that's the problem of the illusion of the interval is that when you start doing intervals, you know, oftentimes people start to get faster. Now for me, I never started to get faster when I did intervals. So, um, you know, I had the illusion of the volume or whatever, right? Um, but the illusion of the interval, I think is the most common thing. And people have that experience and then they just will become fixated on that. And it can, it, it doesn't matter how many times that they fail after the fact, trying to recreate that. It just, they'll just keep, keep pursuing it because that N of one, um, that singular s season sample convinces them that that was, that was the ticket. And, but that's like a historical memory issue. Like, how do you remember that season, right? What are the things that in your mind you're choosing to emphasize? Or if you have record that you can look back on, you're still going to have a flaw of perspective because your interpretive framework is going to be subject to whatever your preconceived notions are of how cause and effect and training works. And that's one of the, I'd say, overarching goals of the podcast, hopefully, is to empower people to have a better intellectual framework to apply when looking at and thinking about training. And I think for a lot of people in running, especially who are still doing scholastic running, right, college or high school, this is a big time of year, um, May to June, because that's when people are sort of changing gears in how they're thinking about their training. And, you know, this is that period of, you know, summer running, base training. I always thought that, well, this is when I'm going to make this big transformation. 
And I think I would get actually pretty fit. And then I would go and, you know, start doing, having this shift into this training paradigm at school that was just not um, functional. It was just too much and overwhelming. But I don't want to just talk about my own, you know, unremarkable cross country <laughs> racing career. Um, we'll talk about this more in the aggregate. And so when we think about the bigger picture, um, and the experiences of people in general around, say, this, this concept of summer training. We can expand this to the concept of base training for aerobic endurance sports in general. And I think the phenomenon we see here is that there are some people who see it as like super impactful. It's the time to drop the intervals and get faster. And I think those are probably the people who don't really feel they necessarily are profiting much by the intervals that they um, had been using during the competition phase or non-base phases of their training cycle. And I also think that there are people who simply don't care about <laughs> training in the summer. They don't care about base training or summer training because they just don't see that as that as being what makes them fast. And maybe they've had um, enough experience trying to get uh, fit within the season of competition. And they feel, well, you know, the intervals, right? So if it, our intervals aren't there, then I'm not going to get fast anyway. So what's the point, right? So our perspective on what the, you know, design value is, is going to determine what we think um, is the right way to expend uh, our energy. Now, the reality is it is valuable to train, you know, all the time. I don't, believe at all that people should be taking significant breaks. I think it's about finding the appropriate level of fitness activity to be, to be doing for yourself at any given time, you know, what's sustainable and then, you know, what's beneficial and sustainable and beneficial are the same thing. I know a lot of times we sort of tend to juxtaposition those things as if, you know, people who train sustainably and, you know, don't constantly move into these, you know, periods of rest, which, you know, only leads to detraining, um, that those people are sort of, you know, the people who really can't get any better. And I, I think that's, again, that's a perspective that we have. Most of us don't have any evidence to support that. That's just the cultural belief in endurance sports that, that we've absorbed. And I think, you know, this change of totally dropping the intervals, though, in when you get to summer running or your base training, in general, you know, this isn't necessarily good or bad, um, you know, but we want to think about why are people dropping it? Well, you know, especially for runners, dropping it because, well, that's speed. And now is not the time to work on speed. And then you're going to get that speed back later, right? And so it, it's using this paradigm to interpret what's going on rather than using like actual understanding and looking to measure what's truly occurring. So, our sense, right, of the traffic light is now, based on what we think um, we're trying to do, um, you know, becoming very influential again, right? We're going to change our practices, you know, based on, you know, what we feel is true about intervals. So, and I actually don't think we need to drop the intervals. And I want to make, um, you know, one argument among others that I think summer is probably one of the best times to use intervals in training. And I, you know, and I say this to somebody who is probably more of um, a red athlete, um, but let's review what we mean by that. So 
we talked in the last episode about uh, this concept that, you know, when we are exposed, first exposed to training for these sports, we're really learning what training is. We're learning, you know, what it means to train in terms of the level of physical exertion, in terms of how much of activity should you do, in terms of what are the kinds of practices that lead to improvement. And when you take the concept of the interval workout, everybody's running that workout and, you know, people are running it at different speeds, but more significantly, people are running it at different levels of demand, different levels of intensity. And the consequence of this was, um, and I think has always been, but was in the sense that we talked about it, the way we talked about it in the previous episode, the consequence of this being that um, for some runners, they're in the green, where they're in that state of it's good and they want to keep going with it. Some people are in the yellow, where it's like, okay, maybe you want to pump the brakes. You're kind of like in that um, limbo state, that twilight zone of training. And then um, some people are just in full stop, full red. You do not want to be here. This is bad. But then everybody is told this is productive, right? So they've all experienced something different and they're all being told it's the same, right? So somebody's seeing red, somebody's seeing yellow, somebody's seeing green, they're all being told that they're seeing green, okay? And so we're we're associating a set of feelings and exertions, um, and we're saying, okay, so this is the thing that makes us fast. And I'm suggesting that it doesn't work for everybody because then people end up, you know, being in the yellow, being in the red, and thinking they're in the green. And only the people for whom it happens to work out, in a sense, or the people who, you know, were taught really well are benefiting from this. So this leads to a spectrum of response because some people are learning to train at X intensity and other people are learning to train at Y intensity. And different intensities matter because those are going to lead to differing epigenetic effects, right? The adaptive response that your body makes as a result of the stress of training, but allows us to then become faster in the future. And that's really right. The point of, of training is to get the body to make that change. It's not to execute um, the aesthetically pleasing session um, because of its social badge value. It's to engender the desired response down the road. And the reality is, I think that in general, like pushing yourself is so overhyped. I don't remember where I heard this, but something about um, how, you know, certain, you know, elite American runners, they knew it was time to retire because they just couldn't imagine going to that you know, very, very, very dark place needed to, you know, run the good times or run the good races. And I just think that's romanticized and that's absurd. You know, pushing yourself really isn't that hard. It's challenging. Um, but the notion that people are going to these horrible, inaccessible, dark places is absurd. It can be hard. Um, but the fact that you're doing it literally means it's doable. And that's the evidence it's doable. And, you know, one of the challenges that I used to have and a lot of people have is you're literally trying too hard. Um, you know, like for a long time, I was like, I don't even know how I would hit these, say, like target heart rates um, because it was just like too hard. But the reality is, it was because I was trying too hard to get to that. My sense of how hard I needed to be working, needed to be initiating um, was what was screwing me over. And I think other people have this experience too. Um, the reality is that nobody taught me. And you know, maybe these people who did not teach me did teach other people successfully. But the reality is nobody taught me 
Um, and I know we know that because I didn't learn. <laughs> so ergo, I was not successfully taught. Um, I was not successfully taught how to know the difference, right? What I learned was that the issue is I actually can't, I mentally can't handle going that hard. And that's why I'm not able to do what I need to do. And what I'm saying now is that actually, uh, ironically, the real problem is that I was going too hard. And, you know, but it's hard to recognize that um, for a coach if you're just focused on velocity, right? You're looking on that design aspect. Okay, you're saying, well, speed is what makes you faster, so you need speed, and this athlete doesn't have speed. The reason why they're not getting better is actually because there isn't enough speed in their training, and their training just needs to be faster, right? And and then that's not true, though. Like, for me, I needed to be going slower so that I could actually get the responses that I needed, right, out of my body to then get faster. And not recognizing that is um, the bane of the existence of many, many endurance athletes. And, you know, by the way, to say that people didn't teach me isn't meant to be an insult to any of those uh, people. It's just pointing out a fact. Um, you know, some of us aren't learning what to process from the sensations of exercise. We don't know how to tell the difference. And, you know, for me as a consequence, you know, my default for a long time was just, you know, steer well clear of that danger zone. It's this thing that's supposed to work. And I was like, okay, I guess it works for other people, but it just doesn't work for me. And, um, you know, so what do you kind of make of that understanding then? If you say that, well, the issue is you have these, you know, the green light, the yellow light, the red light. Well, you need to recognize the green light and you need to learn how to find that. And that's where the lactate threshold and the blood lactate stuff is really helpful. And I think most people find that they really overestimate. And uh, the people who sort of seem to have a pretty good handle on it already or where the lactate just kind of confirms it, those tend to be the people who actually are doing really, really well. And I think what that is evidencing is that if you can find your way to those right levels of intensity and exertion, you're going to do well. And we also want to recognize this is almost just a footnote, but that intensity doesn't mean going hard. Intensity just means like, it's just, you know, how intense and um, going very easy to, going very easy is also intensity. If we go back to the illusion of intervals, the illusion of the interval that, you know, do intervals are those what make you fast. I think the short answer is not really. I mean, if you subject um, yourself to stress and there's, there's going to be some sort of response and it, it can be positive, and just because you exhibit some sort of positive response doesn't mean you're on to something, though, because you have to say, well, what's the opportunity cost of doing all of these different things? And so then we lead to the question of, well, how do you want to use intervals? So, again, let's go back to our, our simplest possible definition of an interval. An interval is just a period of time, and some sort of thing occurs in that period of time. And endurance sports we look and we say that there's some sort of intensity um, that could be constant, it could be variable, but there's some sort of intensity. And within the interval, um, we're not like dropping that intensity down below um, a certain point. Right? We're not like turning off the intensity. There's always some minimum level of intensity there. I think what we want to say is that the purpose of intervals should not be to get the most intensity, the purpose of intervals should be to limit intensity, okay? It should be used to control 
exertion, right? So you're taking an effort, which if you just tried to do it straight through without breaks would be overwhelming. Um, and then you're using the rest, the concept of a pause or a break to maintain proficiency. Okay. Like taking breaks is an essential part of practice. And that could be the break of coming, you know, doing your training session and then coming back in the afternoon or coming back 24 hours later, taking a couple days off. It could be, you know, giving yourself 10 days if your, you know, Achilles tendon is inflamed or whatever the case may be. Like taking breaks is essential and improves our ability to practice proficiently. But what you don't want to do is say, well, I'm going to use these intervals and I'm going to try to, you know, break it up in the most minimal way so that I can get as close to doing um, blank. You know, so there was a guy I uh, ran with um, a little bit in college and he was an a hunger guy. And uh, he said that in high school, he and his buddy, um, they had a theory that if you could do eight uh, 200s in under 30 with 30 seconds rest, that meant that you were ready to run the half mile in under two minutes, which is like a big barrier. I will actually now disclose to you how you can tell if you're ready to run the half mile in under two minutes. You go to the track and you run a half a mile and if you do it in under two minutes, then you are ready to run the half mile in under two minutes. That's the only way you can really know. But that kind of idea of the indicator workout is how can I get something that's like so close to doing the same thing um, as the race you know, goal that I'm proving to myself that I can execute the race goal? So if you add rest, like just don't worry about it, okay? You're not simulating the race. There is no rest in the race, okay? So if you're adding in rest, you're not simulating that, all right? Period, okay? Because taking a break is very different from going continuously. I also want to say that simulating the race shouldn't be the goal of training, right? The goal of training is to get stronger, okay? And like that's how you know you're ready um, to race is when you feel stronger, Okay, if you run, want to run a good mile, if you can go and run a 1200 at a certain tempo, right? If you say, okay, am I getting close to being able to run a mile at four, four minute pace? Okay, we'll go out and run 60, 60, 60 for 1200. How do you feel? Are you paralyzed? Do you feel like you could keep going? Like that's how you're going to indicate that, right? A continuation, a continuous effort, you know, of a shorter distance and some sort of a time trial. That's a better indicator, but intervals aren't going to indicate that. And that's okay. Intervals don't need to be used to indicate that. I don't think intervals should be used to measure, you know, what we are, okay, as an athlete. So, you know, the, and that's because the interval scale of training is really just the continuum of time in which you want to engage in the practice of the sport. And if you can think about intervals the right way, you can then use them to your advantage. And, what you want to be doing is not saying how fast can I go in these intervals or how many watts can I do? You want to be looking at it from the perspective of like, can I use these intervals to increase the time which I'm practicing in this productive, effective state? So I'd been doing um, in the mornings before work, uh, you know, two days a week, I'd been going 
and uh, they water the track, the uh, uh, urethane track for some reason <laughs> that I'd like to use. They have the sprinklers on to water the infield and then they, you know, hit the track. And, you know, when it's, I just don't really feel like getting um, hosed down with cold water um, when it's still 55 degrees out in the morning and I'm, I'm trying to run workouts. So I said, oh, I'm just going to go on the grass and I was like, I'll just sort of go continuously. So I was going continuously and I was doing like, 30 or 31 minutes twice a week is kind of a, you know, not just one 30 minute interval. And so then today I decided, well, I'll just do this uh, 2.3 kilometer loop on the grass and a couple of dirt paths. And I'll just do that four times. And then I'll just like take a break in between and just like walk until I feel ready to go again. And so I did um, four times this 2.3 kilometer loop about like 10 minutes each loop and I would you know stop and then I would walk and then after about 55 seconds I would feel better and then I'd you know walk back over to where I started and then after in about 85 90 seconds I would I started the next one so then I ended up doing uh, 50 minutes like this and the intensity was very similar you know with the stride pod it was like 347 watts for the 30-minute stuff. And now I did 40 minutes at probably 352 to 355. But I was able to practice another 10 minutes. If I had tried to do just 40 minutes continuous, I, I could have done it, obviously. But it would have been more fatiguing, right? So by just taking that little 80 to 90 seconds, I'm able to then sort of by spending that time in that way, I'm able to get additional 10 minutes of training, right? And then I could go back out in the afternoon on the bike or if I wanted a second run session and I could, you know, tap into that again. And this is what people are doing with the double threshold stuff, um, which there's a like that kind of underwhelming article on um, Let's Run that was just sort of glorifying you know, uh, the NA, some NAU runners for just being total hardos for doing the double session. They couldn't believe how tired they were. And I'm reading, I'm like, okay, well, these guys are doing it wrong. Like, that's not the point. Um, and you look at the Jacob Ingebrigtsen comments that get circulated. The biggest mistake people make is training too hard. Well, I mean, what we're saying there as a community of people talking about this concept, um, what we're saying within that ideological space is that people are, you know, constantly overextending themselves and, and that they're, they should be using the idea of intervals to manage it. Just like, you know, you don't go out and say, oh, okay, I'm running 70 miles a week or hundred miles a week. And you don't just start on Monday and you just run continuously until you get to hundred miles and then you wait <laughs> until next week and then you start over, right? You spread it out because when you do that, it's more proficient, right? It allows you to run faster. You feel better, right? You can practice more, right? And more frequently and more consistently. And that's where you get better. And that's what you want to use intervals to do. Intervals should be something that increase your consistency. They increase your proficiency and they improve your ability to practice effectively. And when you're using intervals, I said that I wanted to make the argument that summer is the best time to use intervals. Use those intervals aerobically, right? It's warm outside, right? It's humid. You know, you may not have the luxury of, of training in the evening or in the early morning, or you just might not dispositionally like doing that as an athlete. Well, it's okay to just say, 
eh, you know, I'm just going to do my loop, but every kilometer, I'm going to run a kilometer or two kilometers or three kilometers or four kilometers, or I'm going to, you know, change up, you know, different, I'm going to run a different distance, then I'm going to walk for 80 seconds. Uh, I did a long run a couple weeks ago where it was like pretty warm and I could tell I was overheating. And so there were a couple points where I just stopped and I just stood there and I just in the shade and I just looked at my heart rate and I just waited until my heart rate went back down under 120. And then I just kept running again. So I'm going to use some rest here to my advantage. And that run was way more productive. It felt better. It was more enjoyable. And then the next week I went out and did the long one group and I did the you know, second um, best time I've done on that training course, you know, so it's not like, oh, I sabotaged myself by taking those breaks, right? And using those breaks to improve it. So that then was, that was intervals, right? That's what we want to be doing. And I think for a lot of people though, it's this idea of I got to maintain my speed or I got to practice this particular goal pace. And that's not really what you're looking to do. You want to be practicing aerobically, right? So it would be hard to go out and do a 10 mile run where you warm up for two miles and then you run, you know, a pretty steady tempo effort for eight miles in the summer because it's warm. So, you know, do some, you know, 2K, break it into 2Ks and and 3Ks. Or, you know, you can do the double session thing. I'm going to do, you know, you can do six by 1K in the morning and do six by 1K in the evening. You're, and you really are accomplishing the same thing. But when we go back to the, a week, B week, C week, and D week concept um, that I, I sorry, there was no D week. I'm just making up extra weeks. But I suppose you could say, right, the idea of there's all of these different, you know, iterations of training weeks, right? You know, Z week, double Z week, whatever. But the, these things really aren't as different as we might think they are, right? The real issue is like, how are we approaching that training? And I think a lot of times if people lose their speed, it might actually be because they back off their aerobic intensity so much. And you can go more extreme. I, there was a guy, and he ended up transferring, and we called him Noodles. Um, but, you know, Noodles, uh, I guess, according to him, spent his summer, and he only counted the miles he ran at, like, five-minute pace or something like that. And, you know, pretty, like, maybe a little bit too extreme, but I mean, it's a different concept, right? Of saying that, well, what am I really trying to accomplish being aerobic? Now, I think it was the wrong strategy because he's picking it based off of this badge value thing of a certain pace and that's awesome and this is impressive and that's cool instead of saying, well, what's actually the best aerobic, um, you know, strain for me? And, you know, the pacing right here, right, is what we're doing with intervals, so if we give ourselves permission to pause and, you know, then we can, we can keep going. And, you know, with watts on the bike, with running pace, I mean, I think Elliot Kipchoge is a great, the great example of this when you consider his sub two hour marathon run, you know, he's running at some point in his life, he probably couldn't run that pace for a mile, right? And now he, then he's able to do it for two hours. So a pace that originally, you know, then a coach would have, you know, these coaches would assign and say, well, that's eight, your eight by 400 pace. Okay. But event then, you know, down the road, literally and figuratively, this guy is, is doing this just nonstop for two hours. Okay. What does that tell you? Well, it tells you these speeds that we think are speed or the, you know, these watts that we think are anaerobic or, you know, big watts, like are actually levels of work that can be done aerobically. 
And I think a lot more people can run under five minute pace for middle distance to, you know, moderate distance track races and road races than I think the data actually suggests. But I think the issue is not enough people are put in that, you know, green light zone. And like for me, you know, whatever 188 pounds, 190 pounds right now, I'm running, you know, seven minute pace on the grass. Like it doesn't matter. Okay. Because I'm doing the right effort for somebody else that might be six minute pace. It might be 520 pace. It, the point isn't, you know, how cool or awesome your speed is. The point is, are you tapping into that right intensity? Right. And so you're that, what is the green light maybe, um, in the eight weeks before your peak race of the year, right? Maybe that's a little different than what the green light should be at a different, you know, point, like in the summer or in the base training. And I actually, again, I don't think you want to get rid of the intervals. Use the intervals, you know, responsibly. Like it allows you to manage the fatigue and because like your fatigue is what's stopping you from practicing, right? And so like you don't, like in the summer, you don't want to be tapping in and burning out your muscles. You don't want to be digging for that, okay? Your goal is to come back and take a, and you want to, when you come back to that next phase of racing at the end of the summer, and I think, you know, eight to 10 weeks is enough time that you can make a discernible, measurable, even if it's only a, on a perceptual level, like you can perceive a difference in terms of like, you know what, I'm now at six minute pace is feeling the way 615 pace used to feel. And then if you keep making those improvements over time, that's what's going to allow you to get good. I think people have that success with the intervals and they say, okay, I just, you know, I'm only going to get good when I get back to the intervals and that's when I progress. But it's a differentiation, I would say, between um, when you're actualizing your fitness versus developing your fitness. And that's sort of like targeting, accessing, um, you know, race speed. Like you could also just do that by just having it be a race instead. And if you replaced all those workout with races, I think you probably actually end up with better results. But we just don't have enough access to those kinds of races, right? And but if we did, I, I think that there would be no point in having these, you know, race pace intervals. And I, I think that um, if that you know trade off comes at a loss of your aerobic capacity, then you know, at a, at a very after a very short period of time, you're going to realize that you're at a disadvantage. And so, I think that you know, what are these signs of being, you know, in the red or the yellow? Well, I think being in the red is, you know, obviously going to be maybe easier to start to learn how to identify, you know, because you look at the reactions, I would call them rejection reactions, because it's like our body is rejecting this transplant of training paradigm, you know, total exhaustion, whether that's physical, muscular, whether that's like psychological, you can't conjure up the mental energy needed to engage with the training, the training problem, if you will. I think uh, injury is another obvious one that occurs. If you're getting injured, you're, you're training incorrectly. And I think the solution is to change your intensity. Okay. And, and that's what leads to injury. Volume does not lead to injury. Okay. It's intensity. Okay. Um, I think that hypertrophy might also be one. And this seems to be true for me. I think if you fr too frequently uh, push yourself to where your muscles are just sort of like imploding, right? And they're just getting, you know, total muscular failure, you know, in your in your training sessions. 
I think one of the adaptive responses to responses to this is that your muscles are actually going to get bigger. Um, so, um, you know, more muscular endurance athletes, you know, might be athletes who are challenging just their muscular strength too much. And that's not the answer because if that worked and if that was the right way to go about training, then doing the hardest, the fastest, most exhaustive intervals would be the best way to train all the time. And I think additionally, we would probably see that it's the case that um, lifting weights would be the best thing to do. And there'd be no point in doing all of this easier. We should just go in and crank out five max intensity lifts on the muscle groups that are useful, and then we're, that's it. But obviously that doesn't work. And, and I and I like a little bit of weight training, and I think it has value, but it doesn't like make you directly faster per se. And I think that's true of any endurance sport. Um, it's, it's not really going to make a difference. It's different against the baseline of doing nothing, but so is eating chalk while riding a unicycle. So, and I think that when we're looking at this stuff, take this as a concept. The best athlete is usually the person for whom the intervals are the easiest. And what does that translate to? That means that they're the most aerobic. They might not be the best athlete in the competitions, but they're going to be the best athlete on the team. And, you know, and then maybe sometimes they can really crush the last interval. Well, if they're crushing the last interval, which is, first of all, unproductive, um, but second of all, that has to be because they were under control, right? They were working aerobically, whereas the people who are staggering, you know, they're pushing themselves to the limit again and again and again and again, and that's not, you know, going to work, right? But that you see that magic fairy dust of, okay, let's just really send it the last interval. Well, that might be gratifying, that might be rewarding, that might make you feel confident and might make you feel like, you know, you're improving, but that's just testing yourself, right? That's, you know, just emptying the tank for no reason. Like what response are you trying to get? You know, that, that's not, it doesn't, that's not what leads to improvement. Don't do that. You'd be better off not doing that last interval at all at that point. You might be better off not doing the whole workout if you're going to just, you know, wreck yourself like that. Um, you know, and it's very easy to do. And it was easy to do because of like the cultural attitudes that surround this stuff. And they, they push us in certain directions of performative performance versus, versus practice. And, you know, let's think about, you know, at this juncture, I think an example of, of what this might look like um, is really different. So a classic workout is five by a mile, um, or you could think of it that as like five by, say, five minutes. And that might mean something to you, right? You might be able to say, well, five times a mile. I know that for me, that would be done at such and such. But like, you don't actually know that. Okay, you're just making an inference based on your cultural expectation of what that means. Um, and I'm not saying this to try to, you know, spin people's heads around, but like five times a mile, that could be full gas. How hard can I go for each rep of a mile or each rep of five minutes? You know, that five times five, a mile or five times five minutes, that could be done at, well, what's your um, peak wattage for 30 minutes or what's your 8K uh, race pace? And then hit those for each five minute or five, five minute or one mile work bout and with absolutely minimal recovery, you know, 60 second recovery, you know, when really recovery. And at that point, if you're not feeling recovered, then you're not recovering. You're not taking a recovery. 
Um, so what's the point, right? So that's also a design flaw, I would say. You could do five times a mile at your aerobic threshold, five times five minutes at aerobic threshold. You could do it at a slower pace, whatever pace you want. You could do five times five minutes of walking, and that's an interval workout, right? Those are intervals. And I think for a lot of us, we would have an idea that, well, one of those things is the most preferable. Why else would you do five times a mile? Now, I wouldn't want to just go to a track and just run five times a mile all the time because that's boring, right? I wouldn't want to go out on my bike and just, you know, pick a hill and just go up it five times because it takes me five minutes and then go home. That's that's not fun, right? You want to go out and, you know, run different loops, ride different loops. Obviously, I guess if you're a swimmer, you, you know, aren't as fortunate in that regard. But, like, we change these things up based on what's stimulating and enjoyable. And so we tend to sort of go to the track or those environments because it eliminates these sort of distractions or distresses, but it also en- encourages us to go really, really hard, really, again, empty the tank. I think for a lot of folks, doing five times a mile at aerobic threshold or five times five minutes at aerobic threshold or lactate threshold, um, right? We've talked in other episodes about the nomenclature issues around how we articulate this, but aerobic threshold being the true lactate threshold, people be like, oh, that's stupid, right? That's too easy. That's not enough. Well, why do we think that? Well, because with intervals, we have an expectation there should be a certain amount of stress, a certain like approaching towards the state of failure. And then people would say, well, five times a mile, that should be done at, you know, the peak intensity you can do for, you know, 25 to 30 minutes. Well, why do we think that? Well, because that's what we've been conditioned to think. Right. And then we look at people doing that and we think that's great. And then some people might say, well, going just really emptying the tank. Well, that really gets you ready for peak, peak performance. Does it though? Like, I, I'm not really sure that, you know, going absolutely bananas in a training session and just using up everything you have and going your absolute max. That's not how you then raise the ceiling. Like all of a sudden, because your X amount of, you know, short number of days or short number of weeks out from your target event, all of a sudden the rules of adaptation and response change and it's time to just start going bananas. You know, that's, you know, using it up instead of saving it up. And apply, you can apply these intervals however you want. And maybe that's a heretical belief, but it's the belief in heresy that makes heresy real at all in the first place. You know, the better question to ask is really to say, what's the value of the recovery? Like, why are we taking rest at all? What are we resting from? Why are we resting? And we should be resting because it improves the quality of the training. So how do we know if training is improving in quality? Training is improving in quality if it leads to an increase in the frequency of the training, the consistency of the training, and then the aerobic nature of the training. You know, I if I was training for cross country, you know, and I was going to race 8K, or 5K, I would do an interval workout twice a week. And I honestly would probably do, you know, a long run. I would do, um, I would do the two days a week of the double intervals and I would come, go out and I would do, you know, I would probably do three and a half to five and a half miles of aerobic threshold intervals with intervals of anywhere from 400 meters to two miles would take in the rest that whatever I felt like I wanted to take in between. And then I would come back and do a different iteration of that 
in the afternoon. And I think that's how you'd make a huge jump. I, I think that just going out and just doing miles um, is not effective unless, right, you're able to do it at that right intensity. Now, I couldn't go out and and do a lot of aerobic um, threshold or close to aerobic threshold running continuously in the summer because I'm going to overheat. You know, I, that's what happens for me. But I could use intervals to improve that, right? I could now get all of this practice at this intensity that I wouldn't be able to do otherwise. I could have my water bottle. I could be cooling off. I could, you know, heart rate coming down. All these things, you know, are going to be beneficial. Now taking the rest is good, right? And then maybe in the fall or the winter when the weather changes, then, you know, that's, that's different. But even then, like, I don't think that you need to stop doing the intervals. But, you know, in, in racing, the goal is not to stop and take breaks. So trying to go really hard isn't, and then take a break isn't practicing racing, right? And moreover, the goal is actually to feel, to keep up, feel easy, and then have the capacity to do that big acceleration at the end. And the question is, well, how do you develop that? Okay. And then intervals should only be used to the extent that they're contributing to that. And people use it in this generic way, but like, you know, this idea of, well, I'm, I'm learning how to resist fatigue. This isn't like, you don't like cognitively become a five minute to a four minute miler. That's not how that works, folks. You become better, okay, on a physiological level. And that's why I said a little bit earlier in the episode is that pushing yourself isn't hard. And it, that's one of the other big things you need to realize is you're not trying to learn how to push yourself. Okay, you have the ability to push yourself. People do all kinds of stuff in races that they wouldn't do in training. People, ab- cramping is, I think, excellent evidence of that. They're just literally setting out to do something that they can't sustain. And so one of the, um, you know, rejections, <laughs> your body's rejection of what you're asking it to do, the rejection response is massive cramping. And I've been there. And it's always been the case that I'm doing something that was way far away from what I had you know, practiced in training, you know, and the solution isn't to, okay, well, I got to go full gas in training. The solution is to like bring that up and you need to make that um, intensity aerobic. Cause if you go full gas in training, you're still going to cramp up in the race because you haven't addressed that endurance or that aerobic component. And, you know, I think that when you take this concept, I think you could pick week A, B or C or make your own week in that same model, and your success with that will be equivalent to the way in which you distribute your intensity within that model. And when you look at that context of what are you trying to accomplish, right, and what which one of those weeks, what kinds of sessions are going to get you closer to what you are trying to accomplish, that's what's going to help. Um, I thought a really interesting comment and I appreciated this comment, um, you know, was, you know, saying, well, training four times a week is, isn't that like for professionals? And I think that's a really interesting perspective because I think that we do tend to associate frequency and volume with professionals, but I don't actually think that exercising 14 times a week is something that the lay person athlete can't do. I think it's more so a reflection of like our lifestyle and our other routines. Do we actually have the the energy or the time to do that? But 
really your ability to train 14 times or seven times or five times or one time or 28 times a week, I think we really might be want to be asking ourselves is, well, what are we trying to do in that, right? What's that intensity, right? So if you say, well, you're doing intervals 14 times a week, that's only as possible or impossible as what you bring to the table when you think about that. And we see this with volume too, is one of the reasons why people maybe can't run more than 40 miles a week, either either when they actually try to or just even try to conceive of it, it probably has to do a lot with how hard they're trying to do when they do that. So again, it's this regulating the intensity. And, you know, are you improving? Okay, is what matters. And we sometimes see this sense of urgency of, well, I need to improve faster, or I'm getting close to this thing that I'm interested in doing well at. And, you know, how can I get, I have this urgency to get up leg on the competition. So tell me, what's the special workout? What's the special thing, right? What coach can tell me the workouts? What are the workouts the special athletes are doing? How can I do those? Um, you know, this tell me the secret. The secret is there is no secret. It's about managing intensity. If you're going to imitate anything, imitate how people try to manage their intensity. And that's hard because the way people are performative about this stuff is they want to glorify the epicness of what they're doing. And in a lot of ways, interval training is really just a product of looking at training from an opportunity cost perspective. If you know that, okay, if I can accomplish three hours or five hours or seven hours a week training at aerobic threshold or the more time I can log a week doing aerobic threshold and then do that week after week after week, the faster I'll get, then the question is, well, how do I do that? And if interval training, right, if say, okay, if I take breaks if I go out to train and I run or I ride or I swim at that intensity and then I take a little break every once in a while and then if I can do A, end up doing more time at that sort of desired aerobic endurance training state as a result, then that's a good thing, okay? And I think a lot of times people can go pretty slow on a continuous run and they can go from going kind of like, quote, yeah, I mean, I don't totally like this language, but it works to an extent from going too easy to then just going too hard because the muscles are getting tired and tired and tired. And then that hampers your ability to come back and practice. If you use intervals, then all of a sudden maybe you can start practice running training every day of the week. You might be able to train two times a day. Um, it's accessible. The body's evolved to be active. The issue isn't, can you be active twice a day for 30 minutes to an hour and a half? The issue is what are you asking yourself to do during this time. And I think it's worth pointing out that there's going to be sweet spots or tipping points beyond which you're not going to necessarily get any additional benefit. You know, after a certain, you know, speed, right? You're just sort of not like you're not, you can't stimulate. It's like one way to think about it is if you're really accessing that mitochondrial system, right? That is the basis of this aerobic capacity or so. Uh, that's what we think the, correct understanding is, um, when if that, if that paradigm of understanding is, is correct, then after a certain point, you can't like signal to the body that it needs more. It's like you're, you're sort of utilizing that total infrastructure and you don't need to work harder. And we know that 
logically, if the mitochondria are processing lactate, if the lactate starts to accumulate in the blood, then that must be because your mitochondria lack the ability to do that. So at that point, you're tapping them out. So you don't need to go beyond and go faster and faster because that's not going to get that adaptation. Um, and it's hard though, because, you know, that anxiety of that the grass is in fact much, much, much greener on the other side can be really overwhelming. And when we see people, like the thing is when you see people going a lot faster than you in training in intervals, it's probably because they're aerobically fitter than you. They might also be like running harder in their workouts than you, but like you couldn't do that workout at all, right? And the reason why you can't keep up with them isn't because they're doing those intervals. It's because their aerobic fitness is higher, which is what allows them to do the intervals in the first place. The intervals aren't developing their fitness. They're just actualizing it, right? They're just getting some kind of like level of efficiency, practice, neuromuscular patterning, which maybe is a bullshit phrase, but that's moving them closer towards their goal. And what you want to be doing is what's going to be effective for you. Like the body isn't going to make an adaptive difference between 300s and 400s or 200s and 400s, right? Like the, it's not that subtle, you know, it's a generalized reaction to stress, right? It's like, what's the aftermath of the stress? Okay, it's not like, oh, well, we're doing 300-meter adaptation or 400-meter adaptation. But the belief of that being more or less important is going to drive that idea of that design bias, right? And I think that it becomes very difficult for people to see 35 minutes of continuous training and then being done for your whole session and five times five minutes or five times a mile as being the same because in our head it's not the same, right? We have been taught to see that as very different. But the real question, the level on which we answer the question of is it the same or not is by saying, does the body know this? You know, so if you look at 50 minutes of a lactate threshold intensity, right, or just a 15-minute run in general, it's not even a sign of intensity, right? Most people are going to think that, well, that's too much or too little. But it's because we think that you can't run fast enough to get faster, or if you can run fast enough to get faster, then it's too hard because it's 50 minutes and it's continuous. And that's a bunch of nonsense. The bigger question with this stuff is really about like, what do you like to do? What works for you? Do you want to run 30 minutes continuously? Do you want to break it up in intervals? It doesn't matter per se. It matters in the sense of, are you doing what you feel like doing? And that is significant because that is a huge part of what makes training sustainable and worthwhile and enjoyable. You want to run on the trails. You want to run around a track, right? As long as you're using an environment that's positive, a structure that's positive, and you're engaging and challenging that aerobic system, that's what you're accomplishing. And intervals should be a pathway to engage and challenge that aerobic system. It should add to what you're trying to accomplish there. And again, right, the problem is people are looking at this stuff with complexity and scaling intensity, right? And five times one mile, five times five minutes is more complex than 35 minutes. And so then we just assign that, you know, a, a proportional scale of intensity. 
And that's because ultimately, I think we have an uninformed set of beliefs about how progress is achieved. And it's this sort of geometric reasoning of, you know, you do these sessions and, you know, that's what's beneficial. But you look at, you know, the repeat 400s that were so essential for Roger Bannister to run 359 in the mile. And then you look at how much faster people can run now. Well, why do we think, you know, that workout is so important? I mean, arguably, you know, that workout was ineffective. If Bannister was an athlete in our contemporary athletic culture, you know, what would he be doing? 345? I mean, you know, he he certainly displayed an alacrity for quite a significant amount of turnover over 400 meters. So it's not like you could argue, he well, he was just sort of stretched out and that was the best he could do, right? But our historical memory of the sort of cultural and symbolic significance of sessions causes us to perpetuate them and pass them down and pass them down. And the real question that I've, you know, ask, and I think everybody should be asking is, how do I know if I'm improving? Because that's really what we want to know. And that's the reason why people look at intervals is, you know, we're taking that, you know, uh, scarcity of performance and we look at the scarcity of practice and we say, whoa, these really fast intervals. Well, that's because people lack the aerobic conditioning to do them. And if you're really strong and you're really capable of getting meaningful long-term fitness development out of your intervals, you got to be cruising them you know, off of a big part of aerobic power. And you got to be really green light through most of that. And then maybe as you get, you know, to the end, you're sort of starting to see the light turn to yellow. But, and that means slow down. That means shut it down. It's not pushing into that. And it's certainly not starting in the yellow light zone. And it's certainly not, you know, just charging into the red. I mean, that's going to lead to disaster. But if you're, you know, using intervals correctly and you're you're managing your effort and you're training properly, you're going to see and experience improvement. And I think anybody who's ever really been in shape, you know, knows that it becomes something that you can really feel, you can tell, right? That sense of ease um, over a, you know, previous structure of exertion, you know, a, a training loop, you know, a hill that you, you know, go up again and again, um, you know, something that you keep coming back to and, and finding that sense of ease, it's very noticeable. And if you haven't felt that, then you probably really aren't getting in shape. So you're looking for those signs and those symptoms of fitness, and then you're trying to, you know, look at, well, what am I doing to get there, right? And if intervals, breaking up work, breaking up a training session if that makes it easier to access what you're trying to do, then that's worth doing. And recognizing, you know, that's the value of that as a piece of training is probably the most essential thing that you can do to get value out of intervals. But if you have this idea of there's some super secret hard intensity that I just need to figure out the right way to structure applying that intensity and then all of a sudden I'm going to experience this exponential growth, you know, you're going to be disappointed. That's just, just not the way that, you know, it works. And I think that I speak for a lot of people, frankly, when I say this, but, you know, there is a sense of sort of regret in a, in a way, um, you know, when you come to realize that you didn't grasp these concepts of, you know, how to sort of pace yourself and how to read yourself in training. And, I guess I regret is maybe stating it strongly, but you know you do start to recognize like, wow, if I had done 
this differently, you know, or why was I approaching it like that? Um, you know, so it's not a tragedy to never do X, Y, or Z result in sport, but it's very interesting to try to, you know, plug in that hypothetical and say, well, what did that have made a difference? And, you know, I think that's ultimately, right, we do this stuff for doing this stuff for the experience that it brings to us. Then I think that it should really matter that we're finding the right intensity and that intervals are something that allows us to keep that intensity effective. Because sometimes, you know, we might be in a position where we can do four times 10 minutes or we can do 10 times three minutes or 20 times a minute. And we can really get benefit from that, but that we might go out and if we just try to do it continuously, you know, we might, you know, find ourselves very quickly, you know, you know, on a desert island of, of getting nowhere. And I would add too that, you know, for bigger athletes, I think this is even more important, you know, because breaking up that workload, you're using more energy, you're going to overheat faster, all of this stuff. I think it's even more important. Um, but regardless of the level you're at, right? Using that so you can access that in the summer. If it's hot, you know, use that to break that down, right? To make that more accessible. Use it to make it more engaging and rewarding. But if you if you make it about testing yourself, trying to push yourself, then you're not going to ultimately make that progress. And you might see short-term gains because you're still stressing that system, right? But you're not going to be able to do as much and so you'll get those benefits, but it's probably the same aerobic benefits you would get if you did the same work pattern, but you just like dialed it back. You're not getting additional benefit, you know, after a certain point. You're just making yourself tired and you're actually cutting down the total amount of work you can do. And that's where, you know, you'll see people make a little surge because they're applying this aerobic pressure. But then as they are applying all that additional pressure in the work, they're not able to train as much. Their level of fatigue is higher. And even if they don't get injured, they're going to, you know, probably hit some sort of a wall where they're going to feel like they're, they're really stuck in place. So these kinds of things, right? These kinds of more dynamic approaches, I think are sometimes frustrating because I think we want it to be, well, what's the workout? So I'll give you a specific suggestion. I think that if you were going to try to approach this, you know, I would start out by sort of trying to find that feeling. And I would start running or riding. And, you know, I would start out at something that, you know, feels easy, but maybe you think, okay, if you're going to go for a 90 minute time trial, what would that be? And, you know, after a minute or two, if you start to find that you're breathing, your respiration rate is really sort of starting to pick up, then that level of exertion, that perceived exertion is really kind of what you're looking for. And then if you want to take that and you want to apply that, I suggest trying to do it in a session where you have intervals of anywhere from 60 seconds to even 15 minutes in length. And I would try to accumulate a total of 25 to 40 minutes of running time at that intensity. And I would break that up however you feel like, whatever you feel is good. And then the rest I would take, you know, enough rest for you to feel like your your respiration rate has come back down to normal. And then boom, that's when you go again. And you'll find that it won't be particularly hard and that's good. But you'll also find that if you try to go back later in the day and exercise, the, the challenge is going to be, 
you might be so hungry that you might not be able to have the energy to do a second session. Okay. Um, you know, and you might, you know, find that you're needing to take naps or sleep more. Like those are the kinds of challenges that make this training difficult to do. But if you can find that right intensity, you can take intervals and you can turn that into something that's going to really contribute and add value to your training. And you're going to, by turning that into your green light. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed our discussion of interval training. Uh, We will talk more in future episodes about some ideas about structuring the concept of base or aerobic training, which I'm going to take to mean the training that we simply do um, in the absence of um, a race schedule, right? That time of year is the best time to challenge yourself because you can have that little bit of extra fatigue and not hamper yourself in terms of your sense of progress and enjoyment. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can check us out on our Instagram at Black Cats Run. Feel free to recommend us to people you know who find this kind of stuff interesting, and we'll catch you next time.